This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. A day after the Stanley Cup Finals ends, I was hoping we had at least one more. Uh, if only because, I have to say this, while I am not a Nashville Predators fan per se, I thought their fans and the people of Nashville deserve to have one more game because they were spectacular. They really were. Great point. Did you see the people outside that building? They said it was 100,000 people. I don't know, I if, don't I bo- know, I don't know if it was that, that much, but there was a lot of people. I used to say it was 6'3", right? If you, if, on the radio, I can be, but... I'm Horizontal not. or vertical? Both now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, bring that on. We'll... No, but here, okay, so here's the problem, though. And this is not a uh, 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 this is not a referee bashing thing. I, don't, I mean, there was a lot of conversation about that goal that was called off when the referee blew the whistle too early. As that was far a bad as call, it was a bad call. You know what? There's human error involved. The ref made a bad. I guarantee you that that referee is sitting at home right now, staring in a dark room, wishing he had never blown that whistle. I I I'm not going to dump on the guy because I'm very confident that he is dumping on himself more than anyone else on planet Earth right now. I I don't know if that's the case, but he'd feel a lot better if the score was five two. Yeah, yeah. You you're hoping when that happens that this is not a goal that matters, and it turned out to be a very meaningful might goal. Who knows? Could have could have affect could have changed the outcome of the Stanley Cup. But here's the problem I have: not with the ref. I'm not talking about the ref. It's with the NHL and their stupid replay rules that they continue to put in. And we're going back to this because. We can't get away from this. The NHL, no matter what they seem to do, find ways to create replay situations that ruin stuff. The very first goal of the series was, if you remember, it was P.K. Subban, who according to the replay, according to the referees, was offside by the width of a fiber optic cable. Like That's close. Huh? Uh, it was... They had to watch it for like five minutes, and then they determined that he was somehow offside. I still can't see that he was offside, but they've got this replay rule that says, we want things so perfect. We want to create a situation in replay that eliminates any possibility of referee error or linesman error. We want to eliminate the fact that an official could make a mistake. And then they discover that, oh, but there's so many other places that an official could make a mistake. It just seems like if you're going to insist that there be no mistakes by officials, you need to eliminate officials. Otherwise, and let let the whole thing be done by cameras and high-definition TVs and people in a booth. Otherwise, let the officials officiate. It just, why would that goal not be allowed because an official made a so-called mistake, but this one, the official makes a so-called mistake and the goal is disallowed as well, even though it should have been allowed. I don't get it. Isn't it ironic that in all their efforts to improve the game, to make sure we get it right, they have a situation in game six where a goal's taken away and and everybody knows the official's wrong and there's no mechanism to make it right. And with this one... Right? That's... I mean, think about that. No, you're right. That was blatant. Everybody in the building... Except for the one guy. The one guy knew he was wrong. Well, he did He did after he blew the he whistle. He blew the whistle because he lost sight of the puck. Yes. Yeah. Now, the reality is he lost sight of the puck, but it wasn't clearly wasn't frozen. So when you can't see the puck, you're supposed to blow the whistle. Now, 
perhaps he'll take a little longer next time. But my point he did, is, he, right after that, you notice that the next play, the goalie caught the puck, and it was about a second and a half yeah, before no, the whistle. I'm went. not doing that again. But you know what I mean. What you're what you've been harping on for weeks and weeks and weeks now is this instant replay to make sure they get it right. And yet they have an opportunity now. You look at a replay and they get it wrong. It may have cost everybody seeing a game seven. Who knows? You don't know. You'd, I mean, it might have ended up 5-3 if they'd have scored that goal. You, you don't predict. Uh, of course, and I'm not arguing, again, I, the point is not, again, about a mistake. Official mistakes, they're human. Yes, they're they going to make mistakes. And again, for that reason, I'm not going to be dumping on the guy because it's a human error. And I don't know what the score would have been had that goal been scored. Nor do I know what the score would have been if P.K. Subban in the first game, if he'd been ruled to be onside. But why do we create, why do we insist that it be so 1,000% accurate for certain things? And then we say, oh, but the other is okay if it's a mistake. It doesn't make any sense to me is my point. Well. There's no logic to it. Brett Hall's foot in the crease. Perfect example. Was an opportunity for them to get it right. And they finally said, oh, you know what? doesn't matter. It's only the Stanley Cup winning goal gives Dallas the Stanley Cup and now it doesn't matter? Are you kidding me? Ken Hitchcock sends all the team on the ice. Yeah, and the confetti was coming Boys, down. And go, now. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't have the cojones to put the toothpaste back in the tube. If we insist, this is this is like, I mean, and this is happening in every sport now. It's happening in every sport, that there are some things. What, what are we allowed to review? Well, why are some things, why do we insist that some plays be absolutely a thousand percent correct, but other plays we're willing to accept there might be an error. I don't, I, I don't understand the thinking behind it is the problem here. And so I understand why you can't review the kind of play you had, because if you were suddenly to say that's a reviewable play, every time there was a whistle, because you teach the players to play till the whistle. And if now you say, well, we can review if the ref shouldn't have blown the whistle. What will happen is they won't stop at the whistle just in case they'll review it afterwards, and you'll have guys getting hurt because every single freezing around the crease yeah. will be going on and on and on and will end to a fight. I understand. When the whistle goes, everybody stops playing. I get that. I get what was, it, what was being called here, but why is that acceptable as an error and other things we have to have to the hundredth of a millimeter accurate? That I don't get. I can tell you about what happened 30 years ago. I, I can tell you what happened if I was doing a junior A playoff game and that happened. You know, there was no video back in the early days of the game. The puck was in. Well, if 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 I'd have done that, I'd have started to even it up. Well, they did. No, they did. Yeah, they but they can't do it as blatantly no. as it would have happened in the old days because I'll tell you, when I was lying, some of the guys like Jimmy Burton and Branford, if he'd have done that, the team that got screwed – They'd have a they'd have a five on three in the next forty three seconds. Boys, I'll straighten this out for you. You can't do that in the Stanley Cup Finals. You can't blatantly say I made a mistake. So you know what, Pittsburgh, you're gonna you're gonna be on the uh, penalty kill until Nashville finally score and we even this thing up. You can't do that anymore. But here's the next part about this. You're absolutely right. That's the old you're days. Absolutely right. But I, they I like did, the old days. But they did. Pittsburgh had four power plays, including a five-on-three, and the, the call that gave them the five-on-three, the penalty call, was considering what they had let go, was the all-time cheese ball call. It was it was clearly an attempt to even things up and to give Nashville the chance to score. But again, 
if we are saying that certain calls we're going to allow the referees to make a mistake, and therefore we can then from then on allow the referees to try and make good on the mistake they made. You can't do that anymore. It I mean, they, all, it, none of it makes sense. Why are, we, why are we not, if the insistence is to have perfection, why are we not removing officials from the playing surface and saying we're going to call this by TV cameras from the sky? Because that's the way you can try to achieve perfection. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I'm, I'm of the opposite opinion. I'm, I'm saying let the referees call it, and if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. This offside rule came about because one egregiously bad play happened where a guy was like eight feet offside. And so of all the plays in all the games, all season, in all the leagues, one time, there was a terrible call that a guy missed, and we had to put in a new rule that screws things up. But we insist on perfection. When you get one that's two feet off side, the reality is one of the other guys has got to make the call. But there's two referees that can still call offside, right? Yeah. Right? You don't have to be a linesman. You don't have to be the linesman on the line. But even if there is one bad call in a season... I don't know that that requires a new rule. Like I'm next hour, I'm going to be talking about these yeah. people falling into the waterfalls. All right, but if we have a hundred thousand people who had been visiting the waterfalls and one person fell, I don't know that that requires that we fence the whole thing and put put barbed wire up. Hard to believe you got to legislate common sense, isn't it? There are times when you see a pattern developing. And you say, okay, we got to fix this. I, I never saw a pattern that required that the new offside replay rule be in effect. What ends up happening now is they have the replay rule, and suddenly it's a big problem because everyone's going to replay everything all the time. We saw it with the goal yesterday that Pittsburgh scored to win the thing. Oh, of course it must be goalie interference. Call a goalie interference. I, I actually thought there was the chance for the referees to even things up because he did bump the goalie. You could have easily said, no, that wasn't a goal, but he might have been assassinated in Pittsburgh the next day if he went there. Well, he wasn't going there anyway. Next time he's assigned yeah. to a game. The point is, as yeah, I say... He I just, may have got out of Nashville alive. Well, they have created nightmares for themselves with this thing because you cannot... The, the way the rules are now, you're making it so that some rules matter and some rules don't. That's how, the, that's how you have to interpret it. We are insistent that this be called exactly, but this one... Now we're okay if you make a mistake. We're not okay, but there's nothing you're going to do about it. Why not make, if this is what you really want, why not make everything reviewable? The guy, too many men on the ice. The guy, he was almost off the ice, but his, the heel of his skate may have nicked the puck. And the other guy had already touched it. So let's, let's call that a too many. I mean, where do you want to go with this? Where do you want to go? My question was, what about icing? Right? How many times did we see icing guys stu- in the playoffs? Guy, uh, uh, because you can't change on the fly, you got a tired group of guys. Why could a ref? Why could a coach not review whether the puck actually left the stick before he crossed center ice? You may have only been an inch behind, but that's still icing by the definition. It's the same definition as offside. Yeah, it is. But generally speaking, icings aren't goal scoring opportunities. No, but they lead to it because you've got tired guys now who are on the ice. What if, what if you determine, what if you call icing and it turns out that the guy did touch it? Why could you not review it and say, no, I should be allowed to change my guys? Like, again, it, 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 there's no logic 
to what the NHL is doing. And what happens is you end up now not talking about the great playoffs we had, not talking about the 27 overtime games, not talking about the fantastic final series. You get everybody talking about how we have another controversy because a goal that should have possibly given Nashville the win, because I'm not sure Pittsburgh scores if Nashville wins. Maybe they do. Maybe they score five. But it could have changed. the. We could be playing on Monday or Tuesday, I guess, and Nashville could have won the cup. And that one thing changes it. I'm sure there's a list of things that could have changed who was in the Stanley Cup Finals if we want to go back and of course. analyze everything. Of course. The the reason that they like the icing the way it is, because if it's 7-1 in Florida. You can let it go. And there's 900 you can wave people it off. there. Yeah. You start waving them off. So you can't just flip gears totally, come to playoffs, and say, all right, there's new rules. Now, there are certain new rules. I mean, Crosby may have got 12 roughing penalties as he pounded on P.K. Subban's head. You know what I mean? I mean, they, the tit-for-tat thing is out of whack. I mean, you got to leave the referees in it. And I think the best place for, for that type of officiating is tennis. Where you have the, the, the lasers. The lines. Yeah, the lines. I'm, I'm 100% with you. And again, I don't want this to sound, I, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I'm not arguing for more replay to get every call perfect. I'm arguing for the opposite. The only place there should be instant replay, as far as I'm concerned, is did the puck cross the line or not? Because sometimes the in a scrum around the net or the play happened so fast, we saw the one goal where yeah. the... The referee's blocked, though. There's no way he can it, see it. Where he tucked it in and it went just across the line in the finals and you, they couldn't tell because it was too quickly. That, to me, and even that I can generally live without, but even that, that's the one place where you should have instant replay. Otherwise, let the refs call it. Let the refs call, and let's have some flow to the game, and let's not have every time there's a goal, look over to the bench and see the coach looking down at the iPad to see whether we're going to challenge something and not really be sure if we can celebrate, and then take away a goal. The amazing thing other to me, we got to go to a break. The other thing about this, every, every single replay rule the NHL has put in place is essentially designed to take goals off the board. There's not one that I can think of. There's not one replay rule in the NHL that would allow you to create a goal. The sure, only thing you sure can do... Is. What? Like, Except for the over the goal line. Oh, yeah. Okay, but that's I'm talking about all the other stuff that they've yeah. done. There's not one that you can say, okay, this is going to allow us to put a goal onto the board that might have happened or create... Well, you can leave one on. If, if we can if call, the linesman makes the right call, and they say no, it was onside. You leave the goal on the board. But if what happened? Okay, so we've got the rule that says we can do instant replay and find out that a minute and a half before a guy was a fifth of a centimeter offside, and that goal then comes off the board. What happens if the linesman blows the whistle because he says it was offside, and we go to the replay and find out no, he was onside. Well, you throw the puck down, let it finish. Yeah, the but again, that's my. It's exactly my point. Everything wow. is designed to take goals off the board and to take away. There's nothing that allows you to. So, as far as I'm concerned, what should happen then? If you're going to do that, linesmen should never call offside. Just and then we'll go to the replay afterwards and see if it was because you can't take a chance of blowing it dead because there's nothing good that can happen from that. Like, understand what I'm saying? It's just, right. it's so ridiculous it. now. Other than that, how'd you like the finals? I love the finals. Okay. I thought that, I thought Nashville was fantastic. We talked last week about it. I, 
I was delighted to see that many catfish flying onto the ice. I thought it's, I think it's a great tradition. I loved my disappointment was that I didn't really think that Faith Hill was the biggest star in country music. I'm not a country music fan. I thought they could have done better than Faith Hill for the national anthem. I was they could, really, have, they could have had the gal in the stands, Shania Twain. I think Shania may have had a couple wobbly pops before doing that interview. She sounded like she'd had a few. There was something about her voice. My wife said to me, what's wrong with her voice? I think she'd had a few beverages. I was at Deerhurst last night where she got her start. Yes. My lovely wife took me there. Uh, I was, I know, I was thinking that it was, I was, I thought it was a sure thing that they were going to trot Dolly Parton out there. But I don't know what Dolly was up to, but what was bigger than that? Honestly, what was bigger than that moment in Nashville last night? They had 100,000 people on the street. It was Country Music Awards Week, and your whole city is wearing gold for the Nashville Predators. What, how could they not? Dolly Parton is the biggest historic living. I mean, you can't bring Minnie Pearl out. I, I know what you meant when you said biggest. I didn't mean that. But you know what? But okay, I'll take you there. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don. I'm sure you picked this up. I'm sure you recalled this as you were watching the finals for the last week and a half or so. I'm sure many people did. The two combatants in the Stanley Cup finals were the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Nashville Predators, two teams that Jim Balsillie attempted to buy and move to Hamilton in 2006 and 2007. What would have happened if he had been successful with either of those teams? And what I'm saying is, would Hamilton have been able to support a team sufficiently that one of the that 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 Stanley Cup final might have been in Hamilton this past week, or because would we have been one of those cities that doesn't support, so the budget has to go down, so costs have to go down, so you can't afford the players? What would would Hamilton likely have had one of those two teams in the finals if if we had purchased one of those two? Absolutely, they'd be able to spend to the limit. You think so? Absolutely. I saw a study that was done to see if, uh, and it was a very expensive study, like over a hundred grand, to see if Hamilton would support a National Hockey League franchise, and it's come back overwhelmingly. The interesting thing about Hamilton supporting an NHL franchise was that it was around the nine to eleven percent of the tickets would be sold in Hamilton proper. Right. So, but that doesn't mean Hamilton couldn't support a team, and that doesn't mean Hamilton couldn't be successful at it. You know, the corporate support that would come from Kitchener, Waterloo, and Oakville, Mississauga. It wouldn't be the Toronto Maple Leafs, but it'd be a whole heck of a lot better than an awful lot of other franchises. They would, they would die to be in Hamilton. You need a new building. The the yeah, well, yeah, you need a new building. The, the so par- there'd be lots of money to spend. So the answer is they'd be spending to the limit. Money would not be the object. I look at what's happened to Jim Balsillie and to BlackBerry since he made those offers, and 10 years has not been, I don't think he's impoverished by any stretch, but those past 10 years have not been necessarily kind to BlackBerry, and I wonder if we would be talking about an owner with deep pockets or an owner who was trying to scrape by, relatively speaking, as owners go. I think the National Hockey League team in Hamilton would make enough money that it would be helping him and not hurting him. Like, that might be... You know, that might be the uh, the brightest light in his house uh, over the last 10 years, would be owning the NHL team. Everybody says, though, that you should, uh, that ev- public money shouldn't go into build- building a new hockey arena. And there's, there's lots of evidence that around the National Hockey League, Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, 
Montreal, have all built with private funds. The interesting thing is all those buildings that were built with private funds don't have the same owners as the people that built the buildings. It was the next guy in that made it work because it's, it's cost prohibitive. See, so. I, wonder, I, I do wonder if 10 years on, if Jim Balsillie had been successful at getting a team here, if 10 years later, if he would even still be the owner of the team. I'm not positive he would be. He, he might. He could have been. But I'm not positive that that's the case. We may have been talking about someone else who had jumped in or partnered in and, and taken over. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it was fascinating to me, and I kept, I kept thinking of this as the finals were going on, that these are two of the three teams that in our recent lifetime yep. were designated for Hamilton. Of course, Phoenix or Arizona being the other one. And They'd had have, just a few things gone differently, one of them might have been here. Just a little things. They'd have been here that had been successful in our downtown would have prospered long before the boom it's looking at right now. The LRT be a welcome site, the redevelopment, the condos, everything. The, the National Hockey League team would have then and would still today, in my opinion, fast-tracked the redevelopment downtown Hamilton. The restaurants would be, they'd be booming, uh, the concerts and everything else. I mean, we have some concerts now, but once you're a name place, you know, um, Hamilton used to be on the B list. We had trouble getting the Class A acts. Now, uh, Global, global Pavar- Spectrum. Pavarotti came here twice. Only sang once, though. Neither. Didn't he sing No, he never time? sang either time. Well, at least he came. He good, whined. Good, <laughs> good for, he'd, he'd be a tough hockey player. He's, he won't play hurt. <laughs> but no, I think Balsillie, now the interesting thing is, would he have kept them? And could he have bought them for $120 million and now flipped them for $600 million or $700 million? Who knows if he'd have kept them. If you can make that kind of coin, maybe you go, all right. Or you sell 40% and make a bunch of dough. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, uh, it's almost sacrilege to say this. But again, I got to give full marks to the folks in Nashville who, with the attitude and that, I, I would have found it hard to believe that even people in Hamilton would have been able to match the Nashville excitement around a team, even if it was here. I, they would have been excited. I'm not, I'm not saying we would have been laissez-faire and not interested, but I, I, we talked about this last week. I have to say Gary Bettman, this is one of the few that you give him a lot of credit for, that he, I think he lucked out because I don't think that anybody knew that Nashville was going to be a good hockey market. He can say all he wants, that, oh, I, I knew Nashville would be great. You didn't know Nashville was going to be like Nashville was. Nobody did. Well, he said Phoenix would be great, too. Exactly. You keep saying enough things are going to be great. You're going to... You're going to you're a little wooden ball once in a while, aren't you? You're going, to, you're going to get lucky once in a while, and he got lucky. And look, what I found really funny is that Gary Bettman, who... Again, I give him credit. Nashville has worked out better than I could have possibly expected, and I think better than a lot of people could have expected. What happened when Gary Bettman walked to center ice yesterday? The boom? Oh. Now, Nashville didn't win the cup, but they would have booed him, which maybe shows that they really are a good hockey market, but they would have booed him anyway. He got... He protected them. They should have cheered him. Yeah. I think they were in a sour mood the way that game ended. I I will say this. This is the first time I've ever seen a season end where the referees skated off the ice to go back to our last topic with an entire crowd chanting, chanting ref, you suck. They were a sour crowd by the time Gary Bettman walked. They booed Sidney Crosby winning the Conn Smythe. They booed the Pittsburgh Penguins getting the Stanley Cup. They booed Gary Bettman. They booed everything. 
When I referee, that happened every night to me. Well, it's every yeah. night. I give credit to Gary Bettman for the idea, or whoever, whoever, but the NHL for stumbling into Nashville. Again, I you will not convince me that the NHL had some brilliant brainwave that Nashville was going to turn out the way it did. Any more than, I remember 10 years ago, last week, when the Hamilton Bulldogs won the Calder Cup. Beginning of those playoffs, Yaroslav Halak, who still is in the NHL, was the Bulldogs goalie all year long. And for reasons that at the time were bonkers, Bob Gainey, who was the general manager of the Canadians, allowed him, rather than play in the Calder Cup playoffs, ra- allowed him to go to the World Championships and play for Slovakia, and they brought in Carey Price. And in retrospect, it looked like a genius move. But y- there is no chance in the world that Bob Gainey thought, oh, Carey Price is going to come in here and win the MVP award for the playoffs and take us to a championship. He was thinking, we'll get the guy a series, maybe two, and see what he can do. Well, 10 years later was his idea, and he thought it through. That, well, yeah, exactly. In retrospect, sure. That's what was, he's dining out on anyway. That's uh, it was brilliant. And the same with Nashville. But I, uh, to go back to the question, I don't think, I would like to believe that if Hamilton was one of those two teams, and you took the overhead shots, that the entire Bay Street and York Boulevard and Maine and King and everywhere around here would have been jammed with 100,000 Hamiltonians. But I've never seen that happen yet. I think that I wouldn't predict that there would be um, that many people in the streets like there was in Nashville. But I don't know how many people are in Nashville either. I mean, they may have a leg up on us if they got two or three million people. But I would suggest you could easily close down Bay Street and Main Street from Bay to James. And you would put up giant screens. And like I said last week, if the Toronto Maple Leafs were in the Stanley Cup Finals, you might fill Tim Horton Field with it on the big screen. I certainly think you could do it here, first of all, because the cheap, seat, cheap seats would be outside. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many people would be on the streets. I don't know how many people would be on the streets of Toronto. I just, I have no idea. You're very confident. I have no idea what kind of fan base Hamilton would be. And I'm not even talking about, and we're, we're look, I'm talking so, to free tickets. So, yeah, I mean, so, the, just hanging out and having a beer. So nobody calls in. I am not. I am not suggesting Hamilton is getting an NHL team. Right? We're not going down that road again. It's not coming in the near future. Whether it happens way down the road, who knows? But I think we will. It's not. I don't believe it's happening anytime soon. But I don't know what kind of fan base we would be. I really don't. I. Do you think that we would be more like staid, stoic Toronto, where people would? Maybe go to Tim Hortons Field or, or watch at home with a few thousand that would go to Jurassic Park or whatever we had. Or do you think we would be like Nashville and we'd flood the streets and be In the maniacs. Stanley Cup Finals, we'd flood the streets. You think so? Not, not during the regular season. Again, no, it I'm doesn't no, cost anything to go to the street. Well, the other thing about Nashville that made the streets really work is that that arena empties onto Broadway, which is their whole strip of clubs and country bars and pubs and everything else. And I think that does all right on its own. It does. And it, and But it lends itself to, hey, let's open the doors and everyone can party on the street. There was an awful lot of yellow hockey jerseys and t-shirts out there, I'll tell you. We'd be that having... band on the roof. Yeah, we'd be having folks streaming out to go to Subway. <laughs> I guess, unless a whole bunch of, and maybe maybe if a team ever came here that a whole bunch of bars and restaurants would open up along the York Boulevard or something. Of course and, uh, they would. 
course there would. There'd be fine steakhouse. There would be everything for. No, we don't everybody. need fine steakhouses. We just need places where people can open up and stand on the street on a warm summer night when it's 400 degrees outside and there's hockey being played. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Two guys I want to ask you about now. Three Stanley Cups for Sidney Crosby, three Stanley Cups for Evgeny Malkin. First of all, I saw a number of people today, number of stories, number of analysts, number of experts, quote, quote, say this elevates Sidney Crosby into a top five all-time player. Just put him in the top five all time. With who? That's up to you. I mean, Gretzky, Lemieux, or they're, they're, how? There's your top four. So is he the fifth? Does he go into that class of player? Does he go ahead of Esposito? Does he go ahead of Maurice Richard? Does he go ahead of Messier? Does he go ahead of Bossy? Does he go ahead of take your pick? Any goalie? Would you put Sidney Crosby now as a top five pick all time? Or top five player all It'd be time. pretty hard not to. Um, it's always fun. It's always tough because it's eras, right? Um, you can't judge a player when you look at him. It's always relative to the competition he's facing. And I and I hate, but everybody does it. Um, is Sidney Crosby any better hockey player today because they won the Stanley Cup or if they lost it in Game 7? I, that always bothers me that that's such a defining moment. Except he was so dominant in Game 5 and Game 6 that he, you can argue that he was the difference that led Pittsburgh to the championship. You know, that reminds me of a couple of weeks ago. Who did you pick to win the Stanley Cup? I picked Nashville. And who did I pick? I think you picked Pittsburgh. Because of Sidney Crosby. There you go. I did. You never, you never bet against the big horse, the big stud. When you've got maybe the best player in the planet on a team and a guy that can take it to another level... It's hard to bet against him. I really and thought that's what he did. He did that in game he did. five. Oh my! He I really dominated. thought that Pecorine was going to be much better than he was and was going to give Nashville the chance. And if he had played like he had for the first three series, I think they win the championship with the team they had. But he didn't. And so there's well, if all the games were in uh, Nashville, they'd have won for sure. But okay, so Sidney Crosby, yes, to- top five, yeah, to- top. No, uh, no argument that he would be in the top ten. None. All time. Conversation in top five, but I I don't have any trouble putting him there. I mean, the names you're flipping on. I mean, it's hard not to want to put Marty Berdour or goalie in there and Patrick Waugh. Uh, Patrick Waugh. Didn't I say Waugh? Marty Marty Berdour. Yeah, and and Patrick Waugh. You know, those are guys I saw play, and they were some of the best I've ever seen play. Um, again, I don't like taking. I always bring Eric Lindros to the table. Eric Lindros was one of the most absolutely dominant forces in the game and didn't have a long extended career because of injury. And I don't think that should take anybody out of the equation. Um, I think, I mean, this is an interesting question. I think I find it interesting. I'm bringing it up, but would you, would you want Eric Lindros in his prime or do you want Sidney Crosby in his prime? It's a great question. It's a great question. My, I mean, do you want Eric Lindros, or 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 do you want uh, Mario Lemieux in his time? No, I would take Mario Lemieux. I the the interesting thing for me and what sets Sidney Crosby apart is that Sidney Crosby, unlike all the other guys we're talking about as the best players ever, plays in a salary cap era. Because if Sidney Crosby was not was playing before the salary cap, you know that with a player like that. A, Pittsburgh would spend more money and bring in guys, and B, a lot of guys would want to play with Sidney Crosby. So you would end up with a team like 
Pittsburgh had with Mary Lemieux, or like Edmonton had with Wayne Gretzky, or like the Canadians had with, you know, now that was before big money with, the, you know, in the 70s. Well, in Edmonton too, Scott, because most of those guys were drafted. Not many That's free right. agents went to Edmonton. Like, it wasn't a free market No, they system. were all drafted pretty much. And, but they were able to keep them for long enough to have that dynasty. Yeah. I think that if Sidney Crosby was playing in a non-salary cap era, he'd probably have five or six Stanley Cups by now. I really do. Because enough guys, you wouldn't lose guys, and guys would want to come and play with him. But we only have a minute or two left. Evgeny Malkin, the forgotten man, basically, in Pittsburgh, because it's always Sidney Crosby, was not even included when the NHL did their top 100 list, which I find kind of stunning. Is that, first of all, is Evgeny Malkin a top 100 player all time in the NHL? Yes. I, I don't even know how there's an argument there. I agree. Well, Grapes went on about it. Did he? Yeah. He, I mean, he went on about it, and he's not the biggest Russian promoter in the world, but I he, he does that. get it. I must have been going for a sandwich <laughs> when that was on. Um, okay. Listen to Dolly Parton tapes. <laughs> but I'm, I'm yes, even looking at him. Of course he is. I'm looking at him and saying he, he's arguably in the top 25 all time when you look at He's won, I think he won a Hart Trophy. He's yes. won three Stanley Cups now. I think he's won an Art Ross Trophy. Yes. Uh, no, uh, Grapes went on about him. Like, how do you do this? Like, how? Where, where is he in the equation to not be in the top 100? And what would be really uninspiring is to take a look at the last 10, 90 through 100, and see who they are, and then go, so tell me why Malkin isn't in there. Some somebody is going to bring up. It's not going to be me. What about Phil Kessel? How good is he? He's just won two Stanley Cups, right? He's. I would argue that um, you know it's, it's not a Leaf thing. I would argue that Phil Kessel is the beneficiary of having landed on a great team on whose coattails he can ride to two Stanley Cups. I don't think Phil Kessel did much of anything. He was he, he 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 was not horrible, but I don't I don't think Phil Kessel did a whole lot to. I think Phil Kessel found the absolute perfect spot for himself. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't. He's not the answer guy. He's not the go-to guy. But I'll tell you, his ability to see the ice and make a play, and was accented when he played with better players, and he can still shoot the puck like anybody. Like and Bossy. he's got the biggest beard, and a really speaking from a guy who's already been there, a hairline that he's best to keep under his helmet. Yesterday when they were pouring champagne on him, it was like, ooh, okay. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.